Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Today, we have an incredible guest with us who is going to be sharing tips and tricks from her new book, ranging from affirmations and meditation, and how we can utilize trauma for our growth. So let me share with you a little bit about who our guest is today. Dr. Julie Brown Yao has a 33-year background in psychological, somatic, and spiritual traditions. This provides her with a unique depth of experience and knowledge. Julie specializes in the resolution of developmental trauma, intergenerational, and acute trauma. She is an author and speaker, as well as the trauma and spiritual care consultant for the nonprofit Compassionate Care ALS. Julie is also a teacher of Sri Vidya, where she combines the resolution of trauma with specific spiritual practice, as well as the intricate relationship of how those two paths intertwine. Julie has a private practice in Laguna Beach and works online as well as in person. Thank you so much for being here with us, Julie. Jennifer, hello, good morning, and it's lovely to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so so let's talk about this and maybe start off a little bit with your spiritual journey and then let's take that into how you came to write your most recent book. Okay, thank you. My spiritual journey began when I was 18. I was in a little bit of a difficult time of life, you know, which way do I go? What do I want to do? So forth. I was born in England. I came to America for a year when I was 17. So I went back to England when I was 18. And this was this period of time where I really didn't know which direction I wanted to go. My parents had immigrated to the Canary Islands and I felt a little lost. One of the things that I had at that time that gave me some comfort and support was a meditation practice that my father, who was a fifth degree Aikido master, I shouldn't say was, he still is, he's just (laughs) a lot older now, um, we do a meditation practice at the beginning of, of our practice. And so I remembered this when I was 18, and it was a very simple practice. Right? You'd connect to the earth below, you'd connect to the heavens above, and then you'd connect to the body. And I could, I could feel these energies moving through my body. I never questioned it. I'd started that when I was 15. So at 18, when I felt you know, a little challenged, I remembered this practice. So I would sit down and I would meditate. And all kinds of phenomena began to unfold for me. And it was fascinating. And that led me on a spiritual journey. I don't really want to talk too much about that. I'd rather talk about trauma because that's such a passion. But that beginning of of feeling these subtle energies in my body got me interested in the body. It also got me interested in our mind and what was the connection between our body and our mind and what is the connection with consciousness and spirituality because they were all very much interconnected in my own journey, which was very spontaneous. A lot of spiritual unfoldment came from that original just sitting and connecting with my body and the earth and the, you know, what was called the heavens above. That eventually took me into the field of studying trauma. One of the reasons I did that was you know, decades of spiritual practice opens up a profound sense of compassion. Mm. 
And when we embody that compassion is who we are, it's not so difficult to sit in very, very challenging environments or with people who are an incredible amount of suffering. Because from the perspective of compassion, from a spiritual perspective, it's not different, it's not separate. So from a point of view of compassion or the view of compassion, sitting with someone who's in a depth of suffering because of trauma creates a particular field, like an intersubjective field of compassion, which the person in suffering feels. I don't get drawn into their suffering because I'm seeing it in a particular way, anyway, not separate from the compassion that we all are. Yeah, it's so deep and powerful what you're saying, Julie. I was in a meditation myself a few months ago, and I caught myself in judgment. And it's really fascinating when you notice that you get hooked, you know, you're judging that your experience is different than somebody else's or that their experience is different than yours. Mm -hmm. And the moment of wisdom that I had in that meditation was that any judgment creates a sense of separation. And what I'm hearing you say with the compassion is by having compassion for the other, we're really having compassion for the self and vice versa, correct? Correct, yeah. And compassion is part of our nature. And in a study, in a practice from the spiritual traditions or the wisdom traditions of which I'd been part of for about 30 years, there's a natural generation or um, yeah, generation of that compassion within us to a larger degree that almost goes beyond who we ordinarily think we are, the deeper we go. And the same occurs in a resolution of trauma. You know, so trauma is not going to necessarily heal because we're compassionate. Mm. You know, sometimes being compassionate is a great challenge because that's what was missed when we needed it the most as children. So then it becomes very difficult for us to have it towards ourselves. So generating compassion or practicing doing compassionate practices are very useful, but that's not gonna undo the dynamics that are in, inside of us, these internal dynamics that are supporting or holding the trauma to stay in place. Mm. Wow, so deep and powerful. So let's tie this into your book. You wrote this incredible book. Why don't you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about the book and what inspired it? All right. Well, first of all, I'll start with what inspired it. I work with so many people across the globe with trauma, and everybody's always asking me, what can I do in the times when I'm not with you? How can I support myself? So I wrote the book, really, it's a workbook to help support people who maybe can't get to a therapist for various reasons. Some people may just not want to. Some people can't afford to. Some people can't find somebody who really resonates with them. So I wrote a book to help the people have something for themselves to be able to work with, with themselves. Now, I have to say, trauma is relational. So it would be really a brilliant thing if somebody could manage to heal their own trauma through a workbook. That would be fantastic. And I would take to say it wouldn't happen, but trauma is relational. So it's, it's best for trauma to be resolved in relationship. But this book can be a support of that. So that relationship doesn't even have to be a therapist. It can be a partner, a friend, a group of people who are on this path of the same path of either spirituality or healing trauma. And we can maybe talk a little bit about how they interconnect. So 
in the book, I give a lot of exercises for self-regulation. So initially, when we have trauma, we're becoming dysregulated. We feel emotionally dysregulated. We are having challenges and difficulties that we can't quite mm, smooth out or come back to our own center. So initially in the book, there's a lot of exercises for that self-calming, self-regulating, and also to create nice, clear boundaries. Because if we have a nice energetic boundary, we feel a little bit safer in our own body. That's going to help us access the old trauma and begin to work it out. And then the book, of course, goes into some deeper aspects, a little bit about developmental trauma, a little bit about shock trauma or acute trauma. They show up very differently and um, ways in which you can work with yourself to begin to heal that. Mm. So let's talk about this. In the book, you talk about, uh, first, let's give the book's name. So why don't you tell people where they can find the book and the name of the book in case they want to go out and get it? Thank you. So it's available on Amazon.com. The book's name is The Body Awareness Workbook for Trauma. It's a scientific and spiritual approach to healing trauma. Perfect. And now let's dive into the substance of the book itself. I know one of the things you talk about is this idea of post-traumatic growth. In a lot of the interviews that I've been doing lately with different thought leaders around the world, there seems to be a common theme of post-traumatic growth. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and explain what that has to do with our healing process? So if we are living with unresolved trauma in our bodies, because trauma lives in the body, our life is limited. We are limiting ourselves because of what happened to us in childhood, which isn't always obvious. We often don't know until we begin to really inquire within. So along with these limitations and the trauma and the trauma patterns and the trauma dynamics that are living in our body, there's a closure around our heart. So that's also preventing us from really connecting as deeply as we could or going out and reaching our potential in the way that we may if, if we don't have trauma or if we resolve our trauma. So post-traumatic growth is really what opens up for us our potential, our love, our capacity to connect, our capacity to really be authentic express from our true nature when trauma is resolving, right? So our consciousness expands, our capacity to feel expands, our capacity for connection expands. And, and when we do that, we're becoming less limited in the world, right? And we see the world, we see ourselves, and we see others very differently, and we begin to see this interconnection between us all. And it's a process. It's not going to happen at once, um, which would be nice if it would, but it, it's a process, you know. So we, we find more of ourselves. We find more of who we are as a sense of a unified whole being. And that's, you know, that's evolution and growth for our, ourself in the world. Yeah, so let's pause and talk about this for a moment of this idea of trauma. I know as somebody who personally has experienced trauma, and unless maybe you've been living in a bubble like Bubble Boy, we've all probably inadvertently experienced trauma at some level or another, whether we recall it on the conscious level, or as you mentioned, it's embedded subconsciously somewhere in our body. What do we do with this trauma? You know, how do we begin to even number one, identify it? I think 
just recently I was working with a healer to, uh, we have a company, om-heals.com, where we connect energy medicine practitioners with users around the world. So I'm very blessed that I get to do five or six energy medicine, uh, medicine sessions a week. And there was a woman I was working with on a regression earlier, and she was helping me to go back to a childhood memory of something that was so jarring. And in fact, I wasn't even able to get back to the initial memory itself initially because there was so much blockage there that we literally block ourselves from remembering it. So how do we begin to unearth those traumas so that we can shine the light on it and then use those traumas, as you mentioned, Julie, to help ourselves and our consciousness expand and grow? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. The approach that I have is that we don't necessarily need to go onto or into an archaeological dig into our childhood to uproot and to find things. That the trauma that is living within us, we've been carrying forward from our childhood. So it's here right now. There's only right now. That trauma is still alive in us. And we can usually spot it in the moment, whatever's occurring in our life right now. So we look at where we're feeling challenged and where our difficulties are and what's not working for us or where we feel limited or where we feel closed off. And now we begin inquiring into that. Now, developmental trauma, what typically occurs is that we, we split ourselves into parts. So, you know, part of ourself feels unworthy or feels bad or feels shameful or feels not good enough. And that's really painful for a child to feel. So that gets buried down within us and we try and act out a different way. So, you know, so we're not seen as bad. Let me go back a little bit on this to explain that a little bit more. As a child, we have essential needs. And these needs are to be held, to be nourished, to be seen, to be heard, to be delighted in, and to be attuned to and to be mirrored. Mm. If we aren't feeling that our needs are being met adequately to help us feel safe in our body, safe with others and safe in the world, it feels pretty threatening to us bodies. So we're not thinking, oh, this isn't right. It's, it's feeling like a threat. Now, we can't see that it's our caregivers or parents that aren't adequate enough for us, because that would be too much right? to look at the world and say, well, my parents aren't good enough, because that means the world isn't good enough. Mm. So for a child, they have to feel I'm not good enough. So if I'm not good enough, then I can change myself and then I'll still be loved. So this is where this splitting into parts mm. happens is the good, not good enough part gets pushed away. And then we say, well, what do I need to be? Do I need to be a people pleaser? Do I need to make everybody else feel good? Do I need to meet everybody else's needs? Right? And so many people have these patterns in life, forgetting about their own needs and then don't realize. And you get somebody in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, tending to everybody else's needs their needs aren't getting tended to, and then they start to get resentful because nobody's listening to them or helping them with any of their needs. Not realizing this is a pattern of childhood, and actually they, they had to close down their own needs to tend to everybody else to feel like they could survive. Mm -hmm. So here we are in adulthood feeling resentful because nobody's you know doing anything for me and I do everything for everybody else, not realizing this is a pattern within themselves. 
that they actually never looked inwards or inquired within what's going on with me that I don't even know what my needs are or I have difficulty expressing them or I'm afraid to express them. So this is what I mean by an adult that if we look at our life and inquire within, we can usually spot something's a little off or limited. And then when we inquire deeper, usually with somebody else, we can uncover more. What I usually don't do is any kind of regression into past trauma. And this is why that if we regress back into a childhood trauma, we relive it or reenact it within ourselves, And that's really re-traumatizing for ourselves. It's as if this child consciousness that gets split off in childhood remains as a child. So as we walk around as an adult, sometimes we have like a six-month-old consciousness and a three-year-old consciousness and a five-year-old consciousness and an eight-year-old consciousness that can get triggered at any moment and we don't even know why. You know, we've probably all felt ourselves at some point being triggered and overreacting or acting in a strange way or stamping our feet or wanting to have a tantrum. Things are really often. often. Let me just say, Julia, I'm like, and I tell my husband, he can tell because I will literally stomp my feet and cross my arms and go. (laughs) Right. But if if you just kind of go into that for a moment, it's like, that's kind of feels like a two-year-old or a two-year-old. But this is this is this childhood consciousness that gets stuck or encapsulated in time within our body. And then we act it out as an adult, but it's not really serving us, not in in a a great way. So what would be more helpful is to be able to say, you know, I feel a little bit upset, feel a little angry and be able to feel it and to be able to discuss it and and let it flow. And right then it doesn't get stuck or cause, you know, challenges or difficulties. So when we regress in therapies into childhood and become that child, we're just re-traumatizing ourselves. So what's really important is to always keep our adult consciousness, who we are today, in our awareness, even if it's just a small bit. So when something really challenging or difficult comes up, often we don't know it's not about this moment until we start to inquire. A lot of people feel really terrified a sense of dread or doom, or a lot of rage is coming up. And they know it's not really about this moment because it's so big, but they can't figure out what else it would be about, you know. So they either try and shut it down or act it out, right, or it acts back in towards themselves. But if we're aware that some of these things could be coming from childhood that we're carrying with us in the now, we can create a little bit of space between it. This me now is the adult this is awful feeling that I'm having in my body. Okay, what if this isn't about right now? What if this is being carried within me and it's just being triggered? I might not know what the trigger is, but what if I feel into it? And if I feel into it, possibly I might feel, oh my gosh, it kind of feels like a three-year-old. Mm. Or maybe I'm going to get an image of a five-year-old. In that way, We get the information from our unconscious or our psyche or our subconscious. Ah, this is coming from when I was five. Or maybe this is coming from when I was six months old because I see an image of a baby. And then if we work with the image of the baby while feeling the body, while being an adult, observing it all and working with it, 
we're more likely to be able to integrate the split off consciousness, which is really what we need to do, right? To come back to this unified sense of wholeness and then be able to complete the emotion that at one time got shut down because it was too much for us. Okay, I, I want to pause for a moment, Julie, because I like to imagine how our listeners and viewers are thinking about things. And so I, I'm, I can only speak for myself, right? I have this experience of when I do do that, sometimes it's like you feel that rage or you feel that overwhelming sense of sadness or despair, or whatever it might be in that moment. How do you allow both things to occur simultaneously? The experience of the five-year-old whose needs weren't met and the experience of the adult self, how do you not merge and collapse? Like the word I would actually use is to collapse the two experiences. It sounds good uh, hypothetically, you know, speaking about this in a, you know, an objective point of view. Oh, if I was really enraged right now, I could just see my five-year-old self being raged. How do you pull apart the two? It seems like it would almost, almost be like gum stuck to your shoe. How do you separate those? Now, that's a great analogy. It is like that for people. For a lot of people, it got so consumed when something is triggered within them. And it's really difficult to not feel like this is everything right now, right now. And it is right now. And it is everything. And the rage or the overwhelm or the dread or the terror is right there. And it's awful. But this is where being able to work with a therapist or work with a group or to just have some more education about trauma or developmental trauma is going to be really helpful. And this is also another reason why I wrote the Body Awareness Workbook for Trauma to help people have some kind of understanding and to then give them some tools to be able to be more in contact with their body. Now, healing trauma isn't about getting in the body. Healing trauma is allowing the body to reorganize itself so it feels safer, so it will organically come back into it. So there's a lot of tools that we might initially have, which is when we feel rage or anger coming up, to be able to regulate ourselves just enough so we don't have to you know, spit it out or you know, attack someone or get overwhelmed in it, or have it turned back against ourselves, which it quite often does. We, we need some kind of toolbox, a repertoire of tools to self-regulate, to self-calm, so we can recognize when these emotions are coming up, to be able to contain them a little bit, to not shut them down completely. And so eventually, at some point, we can then we can begin to do what I was saying, trying create some space between who we are as an adult and what's coming up. But that does take a little bit of work. It's much easier in a therapeutic relationship because then as a field, like right now there's myself, there's you and the field that we're sitting in, right? So there's something else here in this field itself is a container, right? And let's say if I was working with you right now on trauma, I'd be able to see your facial expressions. I'd be able to see the gestures and in, in, in movements in your body that I could also be working with to bring your attention to that you might not notice, which again would help you become more aware of your own embodied experience or when you're disconnecting or dissociating. Mm. Yeah, it seems like that space that you're talking about is what allows us to have the perspective of 
the me now versus the me then that doesn't have the needs met because we're in, when we're in that survival mode, when we're in that, I am not going to survive this because even though I don't remember it consciously when I was five years old, my parent left me home alone for three hours and I felt stranded. I'm just giving a hypothetical example. It's really about disassociating and just being able to see, to give, you know, when you take a step back all of a sudden, then you can see the whole picture rather than just the little microcosm of what it is. And so I want to tie this into one of the other concepts in the book, Julie, before we wrap up today about the idea of the authentic self. Is there one authentic self, our adult self sitting here right now, listening or watching this, or are there multiple authentic selves from every age that we get to integrate together? Can you talk a little bit about what that means? So when we are younger, and we'll go with you know this idea of our need not being met, what we perceive around that is if I'm just being who I am, that's not going to get my needs be needs met, you know. So let's say for a three-month-old, there's been research that a three-month-old can realize that crying out is futile, and so they'll stop crying. So that's shutting down an authentic process of being. And in that not being able to cry, when is a cry for a need to be met feels so threatening for that baby or infant that parts of themselves will disconnect. And that emotion, which might be rage, will disconnect, okay? And that's part of our authentic self and part of our authentic expression, okay? Let's say something like that happens with a three-year-old, that they're not getting their needs met, they really need attention, and they're just being told to be quiet, sit down, you know, somebody's not showing up, mom or dad or the caregiver's not showing up. They say, well, if I'm just being me, nobody shows up. So maybe I need to be something else. So we shut down our authentic expression. And then as we grow forward in in our life and age and mature, we think, well, this is just the way life is. We don't question our actions and our ways of being and our interactions. We're living how we thought we needed to live to be loved. You know, fundamentally, it's, it's often about being loved and to stay connected, or actually to stay disconnected because connection can feel really, really threatening. And so our most authentic way of being gets disconnected and then becomes very, very limited in life. What I found in very, very early trauma, so trauma in the first six months or year of life, that if we feel enough internal threat if our needs are not being met, we're not being, we're not feeling loved or held or nurtured enough. The threat inside of our body is so severe, feels like a life threat that will disconnect from our body almost completely, mm-hmm. go up into the mind, go up into the spiritual realm, and we'll dwell there, you know, maybe for our whole life. And our core self, our core being can actually disconnect. Mm-hmm. We can live you know, very successful life. I work with some very successful people who actually have had no connection to their core self their whole life. So it doesn't prevent us from being successful in the world, but it does prevent us from being authentic. 
And often when I work with people who've had that very, very early trauma, that the, because we don't remember, or very few people remember, you know, the first two, one, two, three years of life, this is where imagery can be very, very useful. Because if we are inquiring within and connecting with our body or just our imagination in some way, uh, subconscious will give us information through symbols or images, right? And so often an image will come up of, you know, the baby, a stillborn baby, or a baby in a gutter, really awful images. And these images don't mean, oh, I was left in the gutter. It's more, it felt like I was left in the gutter. Right? Or they'll find an image of a baby in a cellar or a dungeon or an attic. And this is really symbolic of part of myself had to hide away in a dark, unfindable place until I come back and find myself. And when we find these parts of ourselves, okay, then we find our authentic way of being. We come to know who we are more clearly. Um, and then we start to connect to something much larger than we ordinarily thought we were. Mm. Your question there. Yeah, I, I can totally hear what you're saying there, Julie, is it's so powerful when we realize there are these aspects of ourselves, whether it's the baby in the gutter or part of ourselves that's hiding somewhere. And until we shine the light on them, you know, we can't deal with it. There is a, a great quote in Kabbalah where they say that until the light shines through the window, you don't see the little particles of dust. But once you do, then all of a sudden, everything can become illuminated. And I think as human beings, we have all of these parts of ourselves and we can't figure out why we don't feel like ourselves. And it's because somewhere along the line, we let go or we thought, oh, I have to be this way to get love. And I can only speak for myself. What I've found though, is the more that you direct that love, that cherishing, that fulfilling your own needs, the less that we're trying to turn ourselves into a pretzel to receive the love that we perceive that we're missing or to receive the attention that we feel like we never got. And so when we do direct that love inward, we greatly enhance our capacity for self-compassion, self-love. And for, like you said, the space, what that really does is we have all this kind of mess and dirt and memories. And it's like this big bubble. Like I said, in the beginning, you know, unless you're bubble boy, you don't have anything, but unfortunately a lot of us are bubble boy, bubble girl, bubble, they or them. And we don't realize that there's all this stuff We're in a bubble, but that bubble has all the stuff that instead of releasing it out, we're kind of holding it there with us to make ourselves feel safe. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think what you're saying is right on and so beautiful. What trauma does it, it closes our heart to different degrees, if you will, right? Our heart connects, but, but contracts, sorry, both our, our physical heart and the heart space. So it, it gets protected, right, over and over and over again. So in healing trauma, we're taking down these barriers to reopen our heart to know ourselves as love, like love will blossom more within us as who we are, so it's not even about self-love, maybe. It's knowing ourselves as love and mm -hmm. recognizing love out there. But also what it does is we become less concerned about the environment or receiving our needs from the environment, which is quite disempowering. You know, mm -hmm. when we know what our own needs are and can fulfill them ourselves, 
But many people, sadly, in childhood foreclose and close down or shut down their own needs because it was a threat to have them. And so sometimes for some people, it's getting to know that you have needs, knowing what they are. When we do that, it's a little paradoxical. You think it would be, oh, great, that's what I need, I'll go get it. But often what comes up is the pain that we couldn't feel originally when we had to shut down our need. So we have this pain coming up of, oh my gosh, you know, my needs weren't met. It felt like a life threat. We have to be able to be with that. Then comes the, the good feeling of like, oh, wow, I know I have this need. And as an adult, I might not get that need met, but I'll be okay. As a child, it felt like a life threat. As an adult, I'll be okay. Or I can give it to myself. Or I can ask my partner or my friend or I can call someone, you know. So we have much more choice as an adult, you know, when difficult things come up. What's tricky is that child consciousness quite often comes up and overwhelms us, right? And then we're back in an old pattern or a feeling of dread or helplessness or hopelessness. So it's it's very, you know, it's it's simple, but it's complex. <laughs> That's the last body of knowledge. So I know we can only touch into little bits today, but um, it's a great exploration of, of who we are and reconnecting to our love and being reconnecting to others when we start to inquire about developmental trauma. So let's leave our listeners and viewers, Julie, uh, before we remind them of the book one more time, if you could just say, are there any takeaways or any thoughts that you'd love to leave our audience with today as maybe it's something that we already touched on that you want to reiterate, or maybe it's something I didn't get to ask you that you would love to leave our listeners and viewers with? Well, what I'd love to share with everybody is that developmental trauma is a natural phenomenon that happens to every human being. So even if you had the most loving, stable parents, right? Life is happening around us. You know, things are happening in culture and community that as infants and small children, we still pick up as a life threat. Um, and so it's worth inquiring in the moment or in our daily lives, whatever is happening in, around us, happening around us, to just inquire, is this related to something from my past that is within me now, that I'm carrying within me now, that I could actually find some resolution for, that I can't figure out. We actually can't figure trauma out. We have to include the body and our subconscious or our unconscious and our imagery, all of these different dimensions of being to be able to gather enough information, knowledge, in wisdom and intelligence to be able to heal trauma. Thank you, Julia. It's been such a pleasure having you here with us today. And I think the last thing that I'd love to leave everybody with as well is just patience. I think it's really important that as we go through this process, whether you're working with a professional like Julie, whether you're working on doing the work in group healing or whatever that might look like, be kind, be patient to yourself. We're not going to transform and heal everything that's happened from birth to now overnight. And I think it's about being in inquiry of what do I need now? And what about now? And being compassionate and kind and patient with yourself and patient and compassionate with those around you. A few months ago, again, I was meditating and I got a very profound piece of wisdom, which is that 
everyone is doing the best that they can in this moment. And so are you. And I think when we connect to that, it gives us a greater capacity to be ourselves and to allow others to be themselves. So thank you so much. Dr. Julie Brown Yao has been here with us today. Again, I believe the book, uh, Julie, is Body Awareness Workbook, correct? Body Awareness Workbook for Trauma. For Trauma. Perfect. Amazing. And where is the best place for people to connect with you in case they want to potentially book you as a therapist or somebody to do work with in addition to the book? Thank you. You can go to my website, which is my name, juliebrownyow.com. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Julie. And as I mentioned earlier, for any of you interested, the new platform that my business partner, Moon Cho, and I created, who is a YouTube influencer with a brand on YouTube, is called om-heals.com. And if you're curious, if you're like, gosh, you know, I might want to explore energy medicine in addition to the therapeutic work that Julie is talking about, you can go to om-heals.com and answer our free matching questions and receive three free matches as well as some insights about yourself and see if you would like to do some work with an energy healer somewhere around the world. So we certainly invite you to do that. And thank you for tuning in to Awake TV. There are so much great content and so many wonderful teachers here on the network. I invite you to check them all out and just deep gratitude for your time today, your listening and your willingness to be open and receptive to whatever messages were meant for you today. Wishing everyone much love and blessings. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.